fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolf Pack, what's going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, RotoStreetJournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves, bringing you another episode of the Fantasy Beats podcast. And I am beyond thrilled for the first time to welcome on Thor Nystrom. Uh, you can find him at ThorCo, K-U. Uh, he's the NBC Sports Edge lead college football writer, legit scout. Thor ranked out over 600 players before this year's draft. Love checking those rankings out, man. So good. Uh, 2018 FSWA College Sports Writer of the Year. And that's not enough for you guys. He's been honored by Rolling Stone Magazine uh, and also the Best American Essay Series. So I am thrilled. I've been a longtime reader. First time having you on, man. But I'm pumped to have you on the Fantasy Fullback Dive. Uh, to break down this 2021 rookie class, how's everything going, man? It's going well, man. I I don't thank you for the intro. I don't I wouldn't I don't, you know I don't know if I'm a legit scout. I'm I'm certainly a certified sicko though, and I I think you know in terms of that I I think I'm in good company on this show. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, real sicko. So yeah, <laughs> love it. No doubt, man. I I, I love it. Uh, and you've been just banging out the contents, obviously before the draft, those rankings, but since the draft, we got a ton of great stuff. You can always find that over at NBC Sports Edge uh, and check that all out. And, and one of my favorite pieces you do just came out, the NFC version yesterday, the AFC version will be out. If you're catching a live stream tomorrow, if you're listening to the pod uh, the same day, which will be on uh, Wednesday, that's going to be the AFC version. And I love that. I mean, you, you go deep, like deeper than probably anybody out there on the UDFAs, man. Uh, and you just recently, like I said, wrapped up the NFC version of that and uh, loaded, you know, 600 or no, 6,000 rather words. And that's really, this is the goodness us hardcore dynasty players crave. And it's important too, as you note in your tweet about it, you know, 20% of the NFL is UDFA. So it's, it's must know stuff. And I don't think anybody goes deeper than you. Uh, so I just want to jump right in. Who's, who's the, the highlight piece of this UDFA class this year? If I'm putting my money on one UDFA from this class to carry the immediate impact UDFA RB torch of Eckler, Lindsay, and Robinson into 2021, it's hands down uh, JV and Hawkins. Yep. I got to know more. Why? Why is it JV and Hawkins? What do you, what do you see in this kid? Yeah, this is sort of the, um, the perfect opportunity of, or the perfect situation, I guess, of opportunity meeting the the best talent, you know, in, in, in the UDFA ranks, like Hawkins is the best running back hands down that didn't get picked. And the Falcons have hands down the worst running back depth chart in the NFL. It's, it's like this, this perfect marriage. Uh, last year um, I, I called the James Robinson thing, you know, last, in last year's piece, my big prediction was that, you know, he was the, the Philip Lindsay of that class. And, you know, you, you can, you can sort of isolate it down with these things, uh, particularly at running back, because it's a it's a quicker transition and the the steps up the ladder are more straightforward. If you get in a good depth chart situation, it can be a quick you know jump up or whatever. And in Robinson's case, basically all that needed to happen was Jacksonville got rid of Leonard Fournette. I wasn't afraid of the other running backs around. Uh, you know, Robinson, I'd evaluated them. Like I'd evaluated, you know, Reich, Reichwell, Arbstead, like those kids, like James Robinson was better than they were. 
And you know, in Atlanta, it's like, you know, it's like Mike Davis and uh, the number two's Quadrialis. It was like I watched Quadrialis at a pit. Like that 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 kid, his his stay in the NFL, you know, I can't imagine it's gonna be going on too much longer. And yeah. so, like, you know, with with Hawkins, I, I think that the 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 distance between him and RB1 is very short. I think he's the most talented of those guys. Um, the, the, the thing with him, so, you know, m- you know, what I posited in, in, in the column is that the reason he went undrafted is, is number one in, in the, the NFL was sort of making a referendum on his inexperience. And number two, they were making a referendum on, um, you know, he can't contribute on third downs. He, he's not a receiver. Mm. Um, and, and the, the inexperience thing goes to the fact that like, he didn't truly break out as a, as a prep star until his last year in high school. So he was an, you know, as a senior, so he was an overlooked recruit. Uh, three star. And then he went to to Louisville. He redshirted his first year and then he dominated as a, a redshirt freshman. And then he dominated his first eight games of uh, 2020. And then he opted out. So, he, he, you know, he obviously didn't play the end of the season and, and then he declared. And so that, you know, that was it for him. Well, you know, the NFL has got a lot more exposure on, on most kids, uh, you know, and most kids at that position or whatever. Um, and, you know, and again, in conjunction with the fact that they had not seen him catch the ball much at Louisville, I think he had 20 career uh, receptions. Uh, the NFL likes to see more than that, you know, with the way offenses are going. Um, but, you know, I, so I, I have a different take on, on JV and Hawkins. And it's the reason that I think that the, the Falcons pulled one over on the NFL here. Um, number one, you know, you, you go back to the, the thing about him in high school, well, a part of the reason he didn't break out until he was a senior was because he's a multifaceted, multi-talented sort of, uh, you know, multifaceted talent. I, I don't know how to say that, but he, he has a lot of different skills. And earlier in his high school career, they used him as, you know, in this sort of slash role where he played both running back and receiver. And so like his junior year, he had like, it's like, you know, 900 running yards and like 750 or something receiving yards or like something like that. And then as a senior is when they moved him full time to running back. And then, you know, the, he put up these bazooka uh, rushing numbers or whatever. And he also had, you know, great receiving yards as well. But he was a good uh, high school receiver. Like when he was doing that, it was just that he was too good as a running back to keep him from that spot or whatever. And then when he went to Louisville, he signed for a different coach, uh, the coach before Satterfield. Um, I, for, I forget who was the, was it? I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on who the coach was that they fired before Satterfield, but anyhow, um, that was the dude that recruited Hawkins. So he red shirts that season and then Satterfield comes in, uh, you know, the dude from Appy state or whatever. And the first season Satterfield's like a big run. So the good thing for Hawkins is that he's like a big run first guy. And he's like a, you know, a big running back uh, type coach, running back friendly coach in terms of that. And so he fed Hawkins and Hawkins broke the school record for, for uh, rushing yards by a running back. Um, Lamar Jackson twice had more, which is why you have to say running back. Um, but, but anyway, you know, he, you know, showed a ton of flash. It just, you know, absolutely blew up. He had over 1500 yards, but Louisville just didn't throw him the ball. Like he wasn't involved with that. He was getting the touches on the early downs or whatever, but he just was not involved with the thinking or the game, you know, anything with the passing game. 
Um, and then, you know, you know, and people that watch the two, two at well tape, you'll remember that offense. Like, you know, a lot of the passing game was like either short stuff for, t- for two, two or deep stuff to two, two or like stuff like that, that it was like, you know, the Hawkins runs and Hawk, the Hawkins runs. It was like, you know, you'd see a couple strikeouts and then you'd see a home run, you know, like that's the kind of um, runner he is. He's, he's an air back. He's very quick. He's got great feet, great agility, and he's got home run speed. Um, and so like in, in college, you know, one, one, the one area of his game that he's going to have to work on is um, reading his blockers because in, in, you know, at Louisville um, he's, he's so quick and he does have legitimate game breaking speed um, where he can break people's angles, you know, going down the field or whatever. Um, he would freelance looking for those opportunities as opposed to, you know, just taking, you know, essentially what the, what his blockers and the defense were giving him. The NFL is going to want him to do that more, follow the script a little bit more. Um, and, you know, and, and just sort of, you know, make calculated risks on, on the, you know, the freelancing, you know, don't do that quite as much or whatever. So he's, he's going to have to improve with that stuff, you know, knock that stuff off. Um, but as far as the receiving stuff, I just think that that is a dormant element of his skill set. That is absolutely there. I, I just think it was something that, you know, again, Louisville didn't use. And I think proof of that is last season, Satterfield f- started to use him. And, you know, in the first eight games that he played in, um, Louisville threw Hawkins the ball 16 times. He caught all 16 of them, you know, and he had, I don't know, 160 yards or something, a touchdown or two, whatever. JV and Hawkins didn't drop one catchable target his entire mm-hmm. career. He caught, you know, his 20, 21 balls or whatever. It's again, it's not a lot, but he didn't drop one of them and he has a receiving background. And so I, I, again, I think there's contextual reasons to explain, you know, the reasons that he had fewer catches, but also contextual reasons to, you know, to suggest that he could be a much, much better receiver than people are giving him credit for. Cause I, I think a lot of people, including in the NFL are just like, oh, that kid can't catch. You know, he's, he's not a, he's not going to in the NFL, he's not going to be a receiver. And I, I just don't think that that's true. Absolutely. And and that's a skill set that this backfield, I mean, yeah, Mike Davis did his best Christian McCaffrey last year, but it, they're lacking, especially the speed element that you keep bringing up, that, that home run ability. We don't really see that in this backfield right now. And you, you highlighted just the gap between like opportunity and potential talent here. It does seem like a, a pure natural fit. And there's a reason why he's gaining a lot of dynasty steam Hawkins. Uh, I mean, 364 carries of last year up for grabs. That's nearly 90% of their carry percentage. The Falcons of last year, including nearly 90% of their carries inside the five. And I don't know if that's going to be his job based on what you said. We know obviously Mike Davis can be a goal line bruiser there, but this does seem like an, an opportunity where some talent that this team is lacking could really ascend. And we saw it yesterday. They, they tweeted out that, this is an open competition. It's not just one guy we're going in with a, a locked-in mindset. Davis is good. He obviously can churn through tackles, arm tackles. He gets what's blocked and then a little bit more, but he's certainly nobody's idea of special either. So ultimately, I could definitely see uh, this being an intriguing – he's certainly the guy that, that's highest on my radar of the uh, undrafted free agent. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see – how he pans out. Um, de- definitely agree with your assessment there. A lot of opportunity, a lot of talent there. Uh, could could really pan out. And th- that underrated receiving ability. I'm looking forward to see what how that pans out in the uh, NFL level. Well, um, and then, you know, it, keep, continue to move on here. And anybody tuned in here, if you don't mind giving us the thumbs up, share, retweets, any of that good stuff, 
Uh, helps us get out to more people, helps us get discovered. Whether you're catching the replay live show, it's always so appreciated to uh, continue to reach more people, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, wherever you're tuned in. Uh, it, it means the world and is greatly appreciated. So thank you, Wolfpack, uh, for being here with us, uh, me and Thor over here, breaking down the 2021 draft. Now, as I was saying, before you, you started breaking down these UDFAs, last week you gave out your, your grades. You had both the AFC and NFC in two separate articles. Always, again, another gem article to read there. Who do you consider the single best draft of this year, of 2021, and why do you, why do you give them that high grade? The Bears is who I, I put number one. And why so? Um, well, it was a draft that was so good that it saved the jobs of every single man, woman, and child associated with the front <laughs> office. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's indicative of it. But, um, you know, I mean, like, th- that was a franchise that just so badly needed one very specific thing. It just so badly needed it. Um, and if they didn't get it, you know, not only were they – you know, as a, as a team, they were dead man walking into this season. Um, but you know, the, the larger point and the larger, um, you know, sort of mandate to the the front office, like they're, what was happening, they were going to be on the green mile doing their walk, you know, to, to the execution date this season, um, had they not done that too. So it, it entirely, you know, to me, it just changed the fortunes of, you know, those folks, it changes the fortune of the franchise, everything like that. Um, you know, it, it was such an enormous move. Um, I'm, I'm a very big fan of, of Justin Fields. I, I don't understand why he was nitpicked in this way, the entire process. You know, I, I think some people, you know, looking at it might just be like, oh, you know, you know, the, there was a bunch of teams in the top 10 and, you know, they didn't want Fields and et cetera. And, you know, uh, poo poo it more. I don't care about that. I've gone through this rodeo a whole bunch of times. No one wanted Deshaun Watson either. I was screaming until I was blue in the face. Like, mm-hmm. you, you're you going to take Mitch Trubisky? Really? You're going to take Mitch Trubisky <laughs> over over Deshaun Watson? Really? That's what we're doing right now. It, it, all these bums oh. were going in the top 10, and it's like, these guys over Deshaun Watson. And then, you know, Pat Mahomes, you know, saying, you know, mm-hmm. Mahomes, you know, was went before Watson, you know, but like both of those guys, it was just like, those guys were studs, right? Like, but we, we see this all the time. The NFL, you know, nitpicks or they see too much risk or, you know, w- whatever it is. But um, it would be ironic, too, if the two teams that, pat, that you know, the, the Bears who passed on both those guys end up actually getting it right as all these other people passed on fields. If the two, the team that passed on, you know, Mahomes, Watson, we, we always come back to them. Maybe they did get it right. You had them at number two, I think, too, right? On your quarterback pre-draft rankings, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. And, and number yeah. three overall. Yeah. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And, and so what, what are they getting there? Like, I, I agree with you totally too. I was, I'm a Patriots fan. I, as we were talking before the show uh, from the mass, I, I was just like, come on, go get him, go get him. Nobody else is going to get him. Fields going to fall to us. No way. And he didn't, I love him too. But what, what do you love so much about this guy? Uh, and what do you see him doing for this franchise? Yeah. And, and, and just to speak to the Patriots thing quick, that would that thing real quick, that would have been really cool. But like, it's like, they just don't, they don't evaluate QBs that way. Like the, the year that um, I, I love, so I, I ranked Lamar Jackson number five overall in his year and the Patriots, you, you might recall us had two late first, first rounders that year. Sony Michelle. Oh <laughs> yeah. Sony Michelle. Yeah. And, and Isaiah Wynn is the two Georgia yeah. kids. And like both of those picks, I was like screaming at the TV, like take Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, they, they just look for different things, but you know, as, as far as like what, um you know, fields brings it's, you know, it's, it's a couple different. I mean, like, you know, as you know, he was one of the top dual threat 
you know, quarterback recruits of all time. And he, you know, lived up to the hype. If not that he exceeded it in college was, was awesome. His, you know, the, the full year 2019 starting is really, really good in, in 2022. Uh, you know, th- this past season, th- his his performance against Clemson um, in the playoff is one of the great quarterback performances from a college quarterback that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, n- not just, you know, I mean, what he did just in a vacuum was incredible. You know, he threw for, you know, wh- whatever it was, 350, 60 yards, something like that, uh, and five or six touchdowns or whatever against a Brett Venables defense. Like, you, you don't see kids do that to, to Brett Venables' defense. But then when you consider the fact that he had the the throwing thumb uh, injury from the week before the Northwestern game, and then he had his his midsection turned to dust by James Skalski right before <laughs> halftime. Uh, truly incredible. So, like, yeah. you know, it, it, as far as what he brings to, to an NFL offense, like, that kid competes really hard. He didn't have to play this past season. He, he would have gone, you know, top 50. You know, he wouldn't have dropped any further if he'd opted out. But it was him and Lawrence that, that banded together for that, like, we want to play thing. That, you know, they're a big part of the reason that we even had a college football season. You know, like, mm. you know, I think when when people look back at their careers, that's going to be, you know, something that's like more appreciated in the future. Um, and so, you know, that and then, you know, again, j- just like the example of like in, in the championship game, like he, he gets his his ribs blown up by Skalski on that, you know, that that targeting hit or whatever. Almost any other quarterback, their 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 night is over, right? They're they're leaving the you know the 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 place in an ambulance right after that or whatever. Justin Fields missed one play. He came off yeah. the field for one play and then he was back in and then he wins his way to halftime. And then very clearly at halftime, he'd be given an injection to something because he came <laughs> out, he's bouncing around throwing bombs like it was just you know he it was, it was like back to it you know his old self or whatever. Um, but like he got nitpicked a lot in this process for like this idea of like you know you know, locking onto his first read, not being able to go to second ones, hanging in the pocket too long, taking too many sacks, et cetera. I thought a lot of that was, you know, over, you know, between overblown and outright fabricated. Like th- th- there was a quote to uh, uh, Tony Pauline, someone anonymous quoted, apparently said that, you know, Justin Fields had only thrown to his second read five times last season. Well, I, that's just outright BS. That's easily disprovable. I mean, you could just look at his head boob and, it, you know, in one half, you could, you know, you could, you could find more than five. Like it's, yeah. it was lo- in the Clemson game, you know, turn to that one. You, you could find more than f- like, um, it, it, w- it was just a bunch of these stupid things, but, but as far as that goes, he does hang in the pocket a bit longer than his contemporary. So, so that's not wrong. Um, the, the one thing that I'll say to it, though, is it flowers out of a good instinct, um, not a bad one, um, which is he's a dual threat that, that you know, when he goes to the NFL, he's going to be one of the top five scramblers in the league. Um, but his, his, he is a pocket passer, first, second and third. That's what he wants to be. That's what he's doing. His eyes are always downfield. Um, he wants the receiver to, you know, allow the route to progress and everything like that. Um, he gives them time. He will hang in the pocket until the end. He is, again, he is a tough kid that competes. Um, and he knows he has those legs. And he, uh, you know, he he trusts his arm quite a bit. He trusts his legs quite a bit, too, because, you know, he'll let the fire get, you know, he'll get real close to the fire when he's still looking downfield and stuff like that. Um, but this past season, you know, the, the, the sack numbers got cited a lot on him. And, and, and again, you know, to caveat this, I will say it, it's fair to say that he does hang in the pocket a little bit longer than, than his contemporaries. You, you can see that like in the, uh, you know, with the stopwatches, um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, again, it's not a disqualifying thing, but it, you know, it, 
you know, it's, it's something, but as far as the sack numbers go, they were grossly inflated um, this past season by something that had nothing to do with Justin Fields. And, and this context was never brought up when, when people were talking about the, the sacks that he had taken, but in, in 2020, uh, Ohio state was one of the most COVID bitten teams in the entire nation. Mm. It was the reason they were disqualified or supposed to have, well, they were initially disqualified from competing in the Big Ten title game. And then the Big Ten realized, like, we're going to lose a lot of money if we don't get Ohio State <laughs> here. So they, they they changed their rules. So, you know, swapped out Indiana and, you know, in Ohio State that it had, you know, three games canceled already or whatever for COVID, they got back in. But they were dealing with COVID all fall. It, like, their coaching mm-hmm. staff, their, their roster, they had 20-plus players inactive multiple weeks. They had multiple coaches. One week, uh, Ryan Day was out. Um, but, uh, like the one example I'll point to is the Michigan state game. They were down to one starting offensive lineman in that game. They started it down three uh, starting offensive linemen to COVID. So, so that, you know, they're starting three backups and then Wyatt Davis got hurt real quick. So, mm-hmm. so, so they're down to one, uh, you know, in Michigan state, they're not, they're not good, but the, it's a, you know, def- the defense is what they do. You know, it's, uh, so, so you're, you're facing at least a decent defense there. Um, that's one example, you know, another example, people bring up a lot, Oh, you know, he's okay. But you know, they didn't play a lot of, you know, awesome teams and they, you know, they played Northwestern. He really struggled and that was Northwestern. Well, first of all, Northwestern had a top three pass defense last year. They had a first round cornerback. Their strong safety is, is either going to be a first or second round pick probably the, the next year, or the year after he's a kid who had eight picks in six games. They, they, they had an absolute absolutely fabulous uh, pass defense. Not only that, Chris Olave, that was his game to be out with COVID. Not only that, their number three receiver, Jackson Digbo, he was also out with COVID. There's other guys out with COVID too, but uh, you know, it was, it was, it was Garrett Wilson and you know, nobody, you know, like that was his receiving core against one of the nastiest, uh, certainly the nastiest pass defense in the big, the big 10, but one of the nastiest pass defenses in the nation. So like this context was never baked in when people were talking about Justin Field, it was always just the worst, you know, like, you know, just taking all the stuff out of context and then amplifying it as much as you could to make it seem, you know, scary or whatever. It, it was a very strange uh, process. It reminded me a lot of Deshaun Watson. And funny enough, that's that's who I comp him to. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, I love it. Um, and we he was my number two quarterback as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm fully on board. I'm just so stoked for for him to see what he does there. I'm stoked for everybody around him. Allen Robinson finally gets his like first legitimate quarterback, or at least should be his first legitimate quarterback of his career. Mooney, not just going to get overshot you know, a million times. Cole Komet could have his breakout. So I'm very intrigued by what the Bears could do this year with Justin Fields. If I was thinking of like one quarterback that's going to elevate everyone around him, I-, I would say probably Justin Fields would be that guy. Now, before we start getting into, again, specific names like Jamar Chase, and you know Kyle Pitts, all the all the big studs that our, our listeners here are looking for. Uh, it, it, one of those guys might be this answer. Who would you take if you were drafting your dynasty league right now? Rookie only draft. You you got blessed with the number one pick. Well, actually, probably not blessed. It probably means your, your team wasn't doing so hot last year. But you have the first overall pick in a rookie only draft. Who would you be taking here for fantasy football? First of all, I'm not against tanking. So I could, you know, it could be a decent <laughs> roster. And I, I saw the first pick. Is this super flex or just regular? I, and I was going to say, it does the answer change for super flex? Uh, well, either one, yeah. your answer for, for both. Me? Yeah. For super flex, for sure. I'm taking Lawrence mm-hmm. um, for 
you know, if it's just like, if it's like the regular old scoring system and it's like, you know, like, you know, the leagues, you, you know, just play with like your, you know, your friends from home, it's like a 12 person league, then, you know, in that case, um, well, maybe, hmm, maybe Najee, you know, it'd, it'd probably be Najee. Well, it'd probably be Najee against Pets for me. Really? Interesting. Well, we're going to get to both those guys. You know what? Why don't we uh, – we'll save your takes to why one should be the 101, especially Pitts. I can't wait to hear that one uh, for sure, why you think he could be potentially the 101 um, here. That That's very intriguing, Kyle Pitts at tight end. Actually, you know what? Let's hear it now. What's your uh, what's your thoughts on – I'll just pull up the, the banner here. Kyle Pitts to Falcons fantasy fit, short and long-term outlook. Could potentially be a 101 in a, a rookie-only draft. Why do you consider that the case? Well, I, I think you could make, you could make the argument, you know, like I don't, I don't do like the, the hardcore, you know, fantasy analysis of crunching the numbers. Um, so like, you know, I'm, I'm, can I swear on this or no? Oh, please. Yeah. Okay. Let it rip. So I'm going to be talking out of my ass a little bit here, but the, you know, the way that I run my team, I, I'm just speaking from my perspective here mm-hmm. is, you know, with, with high picks like that, I'm looking, f- it, it, it's merely an equation of excess value over the, the position expected you know, for, for each specific thing. Right. Yeah. And so like, if I have a, if I have an open running back spot, say, and I have an open tight end spot, say, um, you know, and I'm considering, you know, Najee and, and ETN and, and, and Javanta, you know, and then it's, you know, and then Pitts perhaps, um, you know, let's say I don't need a receiver. Let's say it's just that bucket or whatever. Well, the, the way that I'm, I'm going to like think about it is first of all, I'm obviously I'm just going to, you know, who's my favorite of, of the three running backs who's going to provide the most value. But then with Pitts against that guy, it's going to be like, what do I expect Pitts's value to be at that position relative to the average dude, you know, or the guy that, you know, the, like the replacement level, the, the guy that I could be expected to acquire, you know, with, you know, I don't know, my next pick or, you know, whatever, right? W- whatever the, you know, pre-delineated thing in your head is for how your, your contingency plan, um, you know, and then the same thing with running back. Well, you know, again, I haven't I haven't crunched the numbers on this, but um, you know, Kyle Pitts, I, I think he is going to become a fantasy, he's going to become a fantasy cheat code. Like, you know, he wasn't he wasn't college fantasy. Um, and I think he's going to be in the NFL as well. Um, and guys like that, they're you know, especially it's, it's some of the ways that the scoring, it depends on what your scoring is, but when it's like one of those, you know, leagues where it's just like one quarterback, two running backs, you know, three receivers, a tight end, you know, like if, if you got a tight end who every single week is scoring, you know, 10 points more, whatever, than, you know, minimum than the opponents, uh, you start with, you get a head start every single week, right? Mm-hmm. There's way more running backs that are, you know, viable in a starting spot than tight end, right? And so um, I, I think with him, it changes the equation a little bit for, you know, the way that I think about Kyle Pitts is he, you know, it's not instructed to think of him as a tight end, even though that's what, you know, he'll, he's listed at or whatever he's, he's 95% of Megatron, but he has longer arms, but like the, the, the ball skills, it's, you know, the same thing, you know, it's, it's just 95, basically 95% of the athletic profile. You watch the tape. It's the same thing. It's just a slightly less athletic version of it, but it's, it's all the same downfield stuff. He, you can't defend him downfield. He gets higher than everyone. He gets down there faster than everyone. He's more fluid than everyone, you know, and then it just becomes a basketball thing. Uh, You know, I mean, he's up there by himself. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, it's the same thing. You just uncork bombs to that kid. 
And so like, you know, like in, in this, will, you know, when I was doing like comps, you know, you, you've seen all them comps I do um, like with pit with pits, it was hard. Um, Cause I was like, like I, I was having a hard time with it. Um, Cause he's not like anyone that I, I seen in college. And so I, you know, I looked around, you know, I'll cheat for sure. I'll look around the industry, you know, see like, what, what are these guys doing? And everyone had Darren Waller. And I was like, I can't do Darren Waller. I can't, I can't do Darren Waller because Kyle Pitts is already better than Darren Waller. Wow. He's as a rookie, he's going to be better than Darren Waller. So what I'm, you know, wow. I, you know, like you have to be able to project with these things, you know, like, you know, Darren Waller's bonanza was to become something approximating what Kyle Pitts is now. Right. And, and so like where he goes, you know, again, like, I just think it's when you look at Megatron's career, I just think it's, you know, slightly, you know, it's just, 95 percent of that but then you know with Pitts, you have the ability to move him around now um in the formation um and 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 get a little bit of blocking value out of him too before before he was a dog shit blocker he was real bad earlier in his his florida career was terrible like he truly was just a big slot period or a big receiver you know whatever you want to say um but this past season um he basically so he basically came into 2020 with only two um, sort of weaknesses, you know, like, you know, you know, before he was seen as more of like a, you know, mid first rounder, or, you know, or a pick in the twenties. Right. And it like, so the, the two big things were, um, he sucked at blocking. Like you just don't even try. He's a matador. And then he had some concentration drops. I think he, he, I think he had six, uh, drops in, in 2019 and his, his ball skills are insane. So they were all just, you know, stupid things, taking his eye off the ball or, you know, fussing with the defender, you know, at the catch point, like shit like that. Um, and so, you know, it's just small things. Well, anyhow, he comes into 2020 and you got to realize this kid's just a stud at every other metric, you know, it's just like, this is real nitpicking stuff with the kid that's, that's this good. He didn't drop one fucking ball last year. They, they were they were tossing up all these like you know all, all these Kyle Trask ducks downfield. You know they're wobbly, wobbly, wobbly. You know the, you know the, all these SEC teams are throwing two or three defenders at Kyle Pitts. Like you're never single covering Kyle Pitts. Like unless you want to you know be be fired on the tarmac like Lane Kiffin. And so it's like you know that he's just posterizing people downfield. He didn't drop one. Like it's it's I mean, absolutely stupid. And so not only that, that's not all, folks. Um, whereas before he was an absolute, like I said, dog shit blocker. Last season, he became slightly above the watermark for being an above average uh, starting SEC uh, inline blocking tight end. Like, it, which that doesn't sound like much, probably, but for him was an enormous jump forward, enormous j- jump forward. So, like, now he can actually, you can actually envision him in those you know different things he's never going to maul anyone but he he's 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 crazy long uh he's super duper athletic and he tries his ass off um that you know blocking you don't need to dock someone's head off you just need to seal them for a second you know like you know Pitts should be able to do that a bit in the the running game and you're not going to need him to block in the passing game absolutely uh man and just to kind of like illustrate your point too a bunch of key things there's the edge like above the replacement at tight end. Couldn't if he develops into like one of those elite guys, like you're said, 95% Calvin Johnson at tight end. I mean, do you picture fancy football? I actually have Travis Kelsey as my number one overall this year. So it's almost kind of what you're saying in your rookie drafts. Maybe I should have Pitts as my number one overall if, if he could yeah. be that level of player, even potentially better. You look at what Kelsey yeah. did last year, was the PPR wide receiver three behind only 
Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, running back three behind only Kamara and Cook, doubled the tight end sixes in scoring. So you talk about replacement-wise, the, the sixth best guy, Kelsey doubled up. And then, you know, 80 yards TD in 13 and 15 games, top 12 in all but one, outscored the next closest by 60. And it sounds like Pitts really could be like, that level of edge, if not potentially even greater, is, is am I hearing that right? <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, it's a, it's, it's. Yeah, I think people overthink the, you know, the, you know, like that sort of a thing. Um, and then sometimes there's, you know, maybe you don't trust yourself as much, right? And so that's when you start to like, you know, follow the the consensus opinion or like stuff like that. But to me, it's just a math problem, right? Like you, yeah. you have to get to what you know, like for instance, say in your league, it's 110 a week right? Or 120. Well, you know, whatever the thing is for this, this score is, is basically going to win every single week. Well, you know, if you're constructing that in your head, it, you know, if, if, it, if, if it, one of these ancillary positions that you usually just write off as a zero, if, if all of a sudden you could start writing twenties in there, how much, how much easier does that make the rest of your fucking job? You know what Absolutely. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Too easy. And the other good news with Pitts too, is he, he goes into a system with, you know, Arthur Smith, who, has has crafted some really, really good offenses. A couple of things I love about him is one is usage of tight ends. You know, last year only five tight ends saw a hundred or more targets. I take this one from Scott Barrett, one of my favorite on on everywhere for fantasy. Uh only five tight ends had a hundred or more targets. Only two had more than eight hundred receiving yards last season. Delaney Walker did that for four straight seasons when Arthur Smith was the tight end coach there. So this is a guy that likes his tight ends, knows how to use them, has coached them for so many years. And now he gets potentially one of the, if not the biggest athletic freak at the position. Uh, You got to imagine that's going to work in his favor. And then never mind the fact that he's so efficient. Uh, Arthur Smith in the red zone uses, I mean, look what John o. Smith did in the red zone last year, like put him in the backfield, line him up wide, tons of these touchdowns. And, and it sounds to me like Kyle Pitts could be just five levels above a John o. Smith. I mean, the, the Titans last year with less talent than the, you know, in terms of weaponry than the Falcons, in my opinion, scored touchdowns the last two years under Arthur Smith, 77% and 74% of their red zone visits. Uh, I could see them easily. And in that same span under Dirk Cutter, the Falcons were 25th and 26th, you know, 51 and 53%, literally 20% more touchdowns going to the the Titans with less talent. If we just get that carryover from, from Arthur Smith coming over, if he brings that efficiency, which again, could be even more deadly given he has more deadly weaponry, including Kyle Pitts now, like the touchdowns could just be insane. I, I could see the Falcons leading the league in touchdowns and obviously Kyle Pitts would be a huge part of that. So, man, I, 101, I hadn't really been considering it, but the fact that I have Kelsey on my big board at one, I, I should be considering that a lot more. It, you know, if Kyle Pitts is as freakish as he is. I, I like it. I like that call a lot. Yeah, you should. Um, his his over-under in Vegas was like, you know, I had to do one of these the NBC bet the edge show or whatever, and they asked me to look at like all the rookie props. And so I looked through, you know, the over-unders that they had out on points bet right now, and – um, Kyle Pitts is his, his over under receiving. It was, it was, I think he had the same as, uh, Devonta. I think they were both at 750. I think Waddle, Waddle was maybe like 725 or 700, like something like that. Um, Chase, Chase was maybe, I don't know, was he in the 800s or like something like, or 900s? I, I forget. But anyhow, um, my favorite bet on the whole board was the over on Pitts. I absolutely wow. love that one because the other thing with it is, first of all, I think he's going over that no matter what, I, you know, over that number. But the other thing is, if they trade Julio Jones, 
Oh, yeah. He is going so far. He could F it double that number. Like, yeah. he, if they trade Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts is going to be that team's number one receiver from day one. Wow. It's just, you know, Ridley will slot in as the, the you know, Ridley will essentially stay in the same thing he's been doing. It's just the Pitts will assume the, the Julio Jones stuff, you know, and then everyone else, you know, it's like, but the rest of the receiving course sucks. You know, it's like, it's like, well, I, I, Russell Gage played a little bit better, but like, you know, it's like, it's Russell Gage. And then, the, you know, if they trade Julio, the, their third receiver would be like Olamide Zacchaeus or, or Greg, the human Dorch, you know, like one of those guys, like um, they, they don't have a lot there. So, you know, again, like the, the targets would all be funneled up the ladder. Um, and, and you mentioned it, like the, the system, um, you know, I mean, like, Tennessee gave like, you know, I think Anthony Ferkser had like 40 catches last year. Yeah. He's like number four on the team. You know, like they, even if he doesn't have guys for those roles, he'll find somebody, you know, to throw it to or whatever. Like um, Pitts is, is, is going to be like the, the wet dream. And whereas with Tennessee, it was like, you know, it was, you had the, the 12 personnel with more of the, that smash mouth element with, with Henry, um, you know, with, with, with Pitts, it's, it's, I, I think it flowers out the other way where, it's the 12 personnel, but it's about um, spreading the defense, right? You know, it's about getting bodies out in space. That you know, th That's one other point that I want to make about Pitts. It's um, Kyle Pitts really helped. Uh, I mean, he, he really helped Kyle Trask, but he really helped Kadarius Tony for one as well. Yeah. Um, because when, when Kyle Pitts is on the field, people get sucked to him. You know, I mentioned before, like you have to have two defenders on him, three defenders, whatever, you know, you have to play the safety back. It, it changes the whole geometry of the field and very much like a basketball court with LeBron James on it, where it's just, you, you see the geometry moving, the spacing moving, depending on where he goes. It's the same thing with Pitts, and it, it opens up more space uh, elsewhere, you know, from, from the, the alignment on down. Um, and, and so like, I, I think that will allow, I think with Atlanta, you're going to see more, um, you know, more spread. Um, and, yeah. and that's something that, you know, going back to JV and Hawkins, it really facilitates his game. He, he's a guy that likes to run, you know, shotgun spread, um, find a crease because he's looking for that lane all the way down the field. Um, it, he goes down on first contact. That's, that's the, you know, my biggest issue with that kid. But, you know, if, if he finds that lane and, and you know, the, the way that you can get it for him is thinning out that box, you can't stack a box with Kyle Pitts on the field. You need your hybrid defender on Kyle Pitts at all times. You, you know, you don't have extra guys to put at the box at that point, right? Because you're going to have at least three wide, maybe four. Um, that, that's another thing that I think sets up very well for the, the JV and Hawkins breakout, you know, rookie breakout campaign. Love it. Love it. Love it. Man, that's very intriguing. I like the uh, the Kyle Pitts potential at the 101. You're getting me sold more and more, and I, I – I love it. I mean, he's pretty easy to love. Like, it's not it's not a hard thing for me to love Kyle Pitts here. Uh, but it's it's just making that much more sense the way this all can fit together. Uh, th those Falcons. I mean, now now I'm thinking about Matt Ryan. Like, maybe I'm way too low on this guy. He could chuck like 45 touchdowns with the weapons, unless they get rid of Julio. And even still, uh, the other guy you did mention though, the potential 101. As of now, he was my 101. Again, maybe I'm adjusting for Pitts eventually. But that was that's Najee Harris. Uh, he couldn't have picked, you know, a more perfect location for this guy. Uh, to me, a, a pure three-down horse landing in Mike Tomlin's offense that just has fed the three-down horses when they have them. So uh, I know he wasn't your RB1 in your actual rankings. We're going to get into that guy uh, maybe next in a little bit. But what do you think about this landing spot for Harris? I know you mentioned he could be your potential 101 if it wasn't Pitts. Uh, why is that? What do you like about this fit here? 
Yeah, I like the kid a lot. And obviously, uh, Pittsburgh loves him. You know, like you, you you don't see a lot where the team, it leaks out the prospect in advance where they're not in the top five. But like we knew that Pittsburgh was going to take him, you know, mm-hmm. so it was, that was sort of funny. And then, of course, it happened. You know, the marriage was consummated, et cetera. Um, but like you mentioned, it's it, it's a perfect fit. It's like Najee was like if you were to build a Steelers back, you know, at a lab, it would be it would be Najee. And his last name is Harris, you know, like to, to just add even more for the Pittsburgh fans. Um, and then, as, you know, as, as far as what he brings, what he won't bring is explosive runs. So that's the one thing you will not see from him, d- despite very heavy usage in, in college, he he scantily ran for, you know, had 20 plus yard runs. Um, but what will you get? It's basically everything else. Um, he's a tremendously efficient running back. You're not getting him behind the line. Um, and, you know, so like, you know, all, all that stuff. And then, but the, the, the bigger thing with him, like, cause he, he's the grinder and, you know, everything like that. But where I think he really adds the value is as a receiver, he becomes what is a second t- receiving tight end on the field, or if you're running 12 personnel, it's basically a third receiving tight end on the field, you know, cause he's a 235 pound, 240 pound kid with athleticism who has the wingspan of a six, five guy. And he doesn't drop anything that you, you put within that, that Venus fly trap catch radius of his. He also runs really good routes, which is, you know, by the way, a difference I, I think between of him and, and ETN, ETN mostly just does dump off stuff. And then he, he's trying, you know, same thing looking for an alleyway to to explode down but he doesn't you know there's a difference between alvin kamara for instance and and etn you know kamara he can do the wheel routes and you know break linebackers ankles you know running in space stuff like that like etn doesn't do that kind of stuff um harris is is not that kind of mover but he you know a sudden mover um but he's extremely smooth for for a guy that's that big um the agility is good and then of course the power as well but he's um, you know, people might be a little bit surprised in his his rookie year who who maybe just think of him as like a mauler. Um, he he has more agility to his game. Um, and that's incorporated play to play more. I, I think that's one thing that's going to surprise NFL fans. Um, and he he's able to um, screw with defenders targets, um, you know, when, when when they're on his doorstep, basically, and, and, and turn what could be flush targets into off targets um, just by his footwork, you know, stuff like that. And um, obviously, he's very hard to bring down. So um, very good pick. He's going to be able to handle heavy, heavy usage, both in the running game, also in the passing game. He did it for the last several years. We were surprised Najee Harris didn't come out in the last class. He really bet on himself to go back. And with running backs, that is almost always a terrible bet to, to, yeah. to bet on yourself. Bryce Love did it. And it's <laughs> one of the big regrets of Bryce Love's life. Um, but like Najee came back and he actually improved his stock. And not only mm-hmm. that, he got a championship ring and all, all this sort of stuff. And even though he handled heavy usage, at Alabama, um, he did not get injured. You know, like he was, you know, extremely durable. You know, one of the big reasons that that Derrick Henry, I mean, Derrick Henry was an effing stud at Alabama. One of the reasons he fell down the board was the whole thing of like, oh, with this workload, there's there's no way he makes it beyond three seasons. Like, you know, you might get a couple seasons out of Derrick Henry, but that's going to be it. He's going to break down, you know, all these 300, you know, touch things, whatever. But like, he was extremely durable in college. And sometimes a dude's just durable. In the same way that sometimes dudes are just injury prone, you know what I mean? And like to this point, uh, Najee has been, and again, he handles the the workload and he handles it with a plum. You're going to get a, you're not getting efficient, or I'm sorry, you're not getting explosion, but you're going to get efficiency from him every single touch. Love it, and that's and that's exactly what Mike Tomlin, who literally is on record saying, 
I'm a featured runner type of guy. That's my mentality. I want a guy that the team can rally on. He cited it as like a leadership thing. Like that's exactly what you're you're talking about here with Najee Harris. It's, I think you said it's made in a lab, the Pittsburgh yep. Steelers. They average his running backs over the last from 2014 to 2018 before James Conner kind of evaporated into dust these last couple of years, 24 and 0.7 opportunities, attempts and targets per game. I mean, that's like a third to maybe even a half of your offense every single game, maybe even two thirds of your offense, depending on how many plays you run. We're going to the running back. Uh, and the results have obviously been great. You know, Le'Veon Bell, 23.2 per game, 18.5, and a half, 22.8. D'Angelo Williams averaged over 23 points per game. D'Angelo Williams was like 35 at the time. James Conner had 22.3 points per game in that 2018 season. And he even had 18 points per game before he got hurt in 2019. And we just forget about 2020 because what, you know, 2020 was just useless last year for that backfield. But yeah, it, it seems like everything is just perfectly set up. I know the line, there's some concerns there, but, but to me, it's just such a just gel, like glove, like whatever you want to call it fit uh, the, the Steelers and, and Najee. So he is my number one, but maybe Pitts again, that edge of tight end is, has got me reconsidering I'm gonna keep working things. on you. Wolf. I'm going to keep I know. working on you. I like it. I like it. It's got me at least considering it uh, for right now. The only other guy that I consider at 101, and it, as you mentioned, it does depend on your team needs, uh, but this is more so just because the player is just so insane. Jamar Chase yeah. uh, going to the Bengals. Now, I, I didn't love the fit, I guess, in terms of like target share or whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's Jamar Chase, and he might just command everything right from the top, right from the get-go, especially that history with Joe Burrow. So I, I love this guy. I love the player. I mean, most people's number one receiver, uh, including you. What do you like about Jamar Chase? How do you see this fit? And Cincy, are you worried at all about the depth chart? Yeah, the, the only the only thing that I questioned about it was I would have taken uh, Penny Sewell. Uh, I yeah. think they were they were all you know they're they're on a similar plane as prospects, but you know at, at left tackle, it's you know you you so rarely see prospects at you know at, at you know at that plane. Um, and then obviously, mm-hmm. you know Burrow had gotten injured last season, and and the the Bengals offensive line is shit. But outside yeah. of that, um, it's a perfect fit. Right. And, and, you know, you spoke to um, target share. Um, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm less concerned about Jamar Chase's as I am with uh, Mr. Higgins's and Mr. Yeah. Boyd's because let's just say uh, Joe Burrow likes fucking throw the ball to Jamar Chase. Yep. Uh, though, t-, t Higgins and, uh, and Boyd, they better show up early to training camp and be, uh, you know, cozying <laughs> up to Joe and, Hey Joe, you know, I, I brought you lunch, Joe. You know, I, I got you, I got you your water, Joe, you know, run it up to him, whatever. I got some Gatorade for you, Joe. Yep. Like that's what it's going to have to be like Jamar Chase. The second he was drafted, he was the wide receiver one on that team mm-hmm. with, with other teams. That would just be a supposition with that team. It's a stone cold fact. He yeah. and Joe Burrow, you know, less than, you know, or a little over a year ago or whatever, we saw them be the most dominant uh, quarterback wide receiver single season duo in, you know, arguably the history of college football. That was the year that mm-hmm. the chase won the Bolitnikov for the most explosive offense inarguably in, in the history of college football. And, and what, you know, what's even crazier about that is, you know, Burrow Chase, the, the, the number two receiver on that team was Justin Jefferson, who just had one of the, the most impressive rookie seasons yeah. of anyone in any position in NFL history. And he was the secondary receiver on that team. So, I mean, Chase is going to come in. He's going to dominate right away. Burrow knows exactly where he wants the ball. And Burrow is, the, you know, what was special about Burrow was the ability to 
uh, put the ball with accuracy and placement to any sector of the field. And then also the, 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 the thing of hanging in the pocket, he, you know, I, I mentioned that with fields um, fields has the same thing as burrow of like, I'm hanging in, I'm hanging in, I'm hanging in, um, in the toughness, but burrow's got that, um, that sort of slapdash thing in his head where he, he knows the second, he, he just got a great feel for like, all right, fuck, like right now it's got to go right. Like where fields, that thing is still developing where sometimes the, the bomb blows up in his hand, you know, as it were. Um, but like, because of that burrow buys all that extra time and you saw it, you know, chase is, you know, he's the downfield dude, right? Like it's, it's that explosion and it's, you know, in, in a package that's really strong. It's why I, I comp him to Roddy white. He, he doesn't, you know, Roddy white was not, you know, when you watch from a UAB and then we went to the NFL, uh, was not in a frame that you typically thought of as a guy that consistently won downfield. And yet he did anyway, you know, and that like when he went into the NFL, I was like, you know, is he going to be able to keep doing the stuff he did at, at UAB? He sure is. Um, because his acceleration, that explosion, you can't stay with him like in the first, you know, five, 10 yards or whatever. So he creates the, the window right off the bat. Right. And, and the DBs, you saw Chase a couple times, a DB caught him, you know, at the end on, on some of these deep balls. Uh, but his his ball skills are so effing sick. Like, you know, even when the, the DBs got back there, um, it's not even a 50 50 ball when it's Chobro throw to Jamar Chase. Like and, and if you don't get back there, well, it's 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 a touchdown if you didn't leave deep help. It's it's over. Um, and you know, it's, it's, so, you know, we have all that, that, that different stuff to, you know, to your thing, you know, again, explosion strength. Um, it, it's, it's the, the defense has to respect you deep because of that special sauce. It, his whole game starts off of that. You have to respect it. You have to. So, you know, the, the safety, the, the, the cornerback playing on him, they have to respect it. And everything flowers off of that where, um, you know, he, he gets a little bit of a, um, you know, sort of a built-in head start on intermediate stuff and stuff like that because you have to, you know, it's like, uh, you know, facing, you know, the, the NFL's most vaunted speed rusher. The, mm. the offensive tackle is going to be sitting back just a little bit more on his heels, you know, every single time because he knows that guy takes everyone's outside shoulder, right? And so, you know, it, just a little bit, but that little bit gives the dude, the you know, a little bit of a head start if he wants to go inside whenever he wants, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's the same thing with Chase and the ball skills translate, you know, in, in, you know, in, in the intermediate area as well. Um, he's another guy that's going to help with spacing because of how consistently he wins, he wins downfield for, for the other guys. I, I think he's a great fit, you know, like Higgins is, is another downfield guy that was a good, um, you know, fit, fit for Burrow as well, but his, you know, he's more of the, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, he's on the higher end of the evolutionary pole, but it's, it's more of the, the generalized, uh, jump ballers, you know, with, without the, the premium athleticism, the bigger guys, it's like, uh, you know, like the, the Preston Williams is, is like on right. the, you know, like the, the you know, he, he's like the less evolved, you know, it's like, you know, did you watch that movie multiplicity with Michael Keaton? You know, it's like all the different Michael Keatons, you know, it's like, <laughs> I have not, so. no, but I get what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, the line of continuum or it's like, you know, the, the eight man poster in middle school or it's like, yeah. you know, the different apes to the, the man. like, uh, you know, Preston Williams is like the, the furthest end of like the, you know, the jump baller thing or whatever. And then, um, you, you know, whoever I was just uh, is you T. Know, Higgins. <laughs> T Higgins is like, yes, yes, exactly. Like he's, cause he, he just misses that, that athleticism threshold, but he's, he's so good at like getting up in the sky and, and, and pulling the thing down. So like, I, I think those two complement each other really well. And Boyd is a guy we know if, 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 you know, his only limitation, it's, it's just the athletic stuff. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. And so, you know, he's a really reliable guy, you know, especially with the weapons they now have on the outside, 
it goes back to the spacing thing, which I think is an underrated concept in football. Um, you know, changing the geometry of the field, stuff like that. Um, Chase, yes, in a vacuum, improves that receiving core a bunch. He's going to vacuum up a bunch of targets. He's going to put up huge numbers as a rookie, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he also helps some of those other guys because of the measures, you know, the defenses have to go to um, in order to take some of his things off the table. I'd love it. And and I, what I'm here here too is, Joe Burrow could just go absolutely assuming he's healthy. He bounces back the right way. He could go berserk with these types of weapons. If yep. they become as indefensible as Jamar chase could make I, them. And I, you look the, at the only it, thing you know, I'll say is I, yeah. I think they still need to build that offensive line. You know, they, oh, yeah. they put that off, but they are, I agree. They're on that track to building that juggernaut. I know let's fingers crossed. We don't get another injury like last year. Cause they, they could be crazy. Even before he got hurt, Joe Burrow weeks one through 10, the, the Bengals ranked, First in plays per game, they dropped to 31st once he got hurt. Situation neutral pass, they were eighth. Uh, and situa- situational neutral pass rate, they were first. So they were just chucking it early and often. And again, this was before they had a Jamar Chase that just changes the entire complexion of an already pretty explosive offense. So I'm stoked for it. I, I know it looks a bit crowded on that target totem pole, but given how much volume they were already feeding that passing offense last year, and then you get a guy like Jamar Chase in there, I'm not overly concerned. I'm full agreement that Jamar Chase is atop this depth chart. He's the highest ranked guy having redraft dynasty, all that good stuff. But I don't think it necessarily is like a death knell for T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd either, just because of how indefensible it's going to become. And I just think Joe Burrow could be legitimately insane. Plus, plus, you know, the the offensive gains they're going to have, you know, having a full, I mean, look at their numbers from last year, then consider a full season of Burrow, you know, plus, you know, extrapolated over 17, obviously, but then the, you know, the, the progress of Burrow over that plus, you know, the, the receiver one adding, you know, X production over expected. And then, you know, down the, the, the totem pole or whatever, like, I I think that offense is going to add a bunch of touchdowns next year. Those aren't all going to, to, you know, Jamar Chase, like T Higgins is an awesome red zone option. Like he might, he might not get as many targets per game maybe, but like his fantasy points could absolutely be even more because, you know, if, I, I don't know how many touchdowns he scored, you know, last year, but like, I, you know, they're going to be in the red zone a lot and I could see him targeted, you know, quite a bit. Just use one example. A hundred percent. Yeah. If the, even if the sheer number goes down a little bit for Higgins, the quality could completely skyrocket and he might, she said those jump balls, be their top red zone threat right there. It's good as Jamar chases with the body control and everything too. Like, I just don't know how you might stop. If this offense gets humming other than the offensive line, that might be the only way you can stop these guys is getting to burrow uh, as fast as you can. But if they can craft a, a playbook where they're getting out quick and then dumping it deep at the, uh, once the defense is kind of on their heels, it could, it could be just impossible to stop. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this Cincy team, just fingers crossed burrow is uh is healthy this year and, and can really orchestrate everything. Um, after Chase, we saw the ba- both Bama receivers, and that was kind of the expectation there. Uh, go first being Waddle though, that, that surprised a few people. A lot of people thinking Devonta Smith might go ahead of Waddle there, uh, but both lead it, landed in pretty wide receiver needy homes in uh, Waddle to the M- Miami Dolphins. Obviously, Smith going to the Eagles there. Uh, do you think the Dolphins made the right choice? going Waddle over Smith? And also, how do you just kind of see these guys panning out uh, in terms of their respective NFL careers? 
So I had Smith ranked higher than Waddle, but I think the Dolphins made the right choice for them. There was there was reports before the draft that they liked Waddle even more than Chase. I don't know if I believe that, especially coming from those guys because they lie a lot to the media. <laughs> like uh, two, they you know they lied about they said they liked Herbert more than Tua, and they they yeah. didn't because they took Tua. <laughs> uh, but he's he you know certainly when it was uh, uh, Devonta against Waddle. Um, Waddle is the better fit for Miami. And conversely, I think Philly was thrilled that, that they took Waddle because Devonta is most certainly a better fit for Philly. But just first yeah. speaking to the, the Dolphins, if they did like Waddle more than Chase, yeah, like I would think that's a little crazy. You know, the, the argument of Waddle over Smith, that that's closer. And and you know, I, I'm not gonna argue with someone that that makes it because like, you know, in my my big board or whatever, it's like, you know, they're separated by like two spots overall, whatever. Um, But it's like with, with Miami, you know, I was saying this, I've been saying this for months because, you know, you'll get the question of like, you know, you know, should, you know, this is earlier in the process, but like, you know, should, should the dolphins use the number three pick on a quarterback? And I'd be like, shut up. Like, what are you (laughs) fucking talking about? They they got two, you know, like, um, there would be these questions that would just apply that the two was already a bust that I, you know, I just start getting pissed off. Like, it's like, you know, first off to, let me go on a rant for one second. For, first Please of all, two should not have been playing last year. Uh, you know, coming off of that injury, he probably shouldn't have been playing the year before, you know, at his last year at Alabama, like he was compromised. He had a, he had a 33 to three TDI and T ratio that year, but his, his lower half was badly compromised. Like I, I remember a play against LSU. They may have upset that LSU team and been the only team to knock off LSU that year but early in the game in the first half this was I think Alabama's second drive um they were they were near the goal line I think they were they were at the three or the four something like that and uh Tua went to scramble he had a um an open shot at the goal line any other uh, time of his career that's a touchdown yeah. uh, but in but in this one at like the the two yard line he you know because you can see him he's moving way more tentatively and he starts to see a, a defender descend on him and he makes like a weird cut and he just drops the ball he just mm. wasn't touched, just just fumbles it right there. LSU got the ball, marches down, scored a touchdown. Uh, something else weird happened with a, like a punt or, or something. I, they might have gotten a punt return touchdown, but like the, the game, you know, then Alabama was having to play from behind the whole time. But, but, but anyhow, he was compromised that year. And then last year, I thought, you know, whatever team takes him, they ought to not play him because of that. Like Saban shouldn't have played him. You know, this team shouldn't play him. Um, but, you know, but Miami wanted to, you know, see what they had. It was especially dumb in Miami circumstance because like Fitzpatrick was playing well. People like Fitzpatrick, like they were in the playoff hunt. Like there was, there was literally no reason to do that except for the front office trying to flex of like, you know, this, this pick was justified, you know, but like, it's like, no, don't wait till next year to do that. Like, you know, see if you can make the playoffs. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't just that. Uh, the other thing was, of course, Miami has a, a super shitty receiving core, but it's not just that. It's a super shitty receiving core full of shitty receivers that are shitty in precisely the way that doesn't work with Tua's game. Um, there are a bunch of those downfield jump ball guys that are slow, right? So it's like, you know, Preston Williams and, you know, Devonta Parker, you know, and, and, and guys like that that you would just, you know, they're guys for Zach Wilson. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run around in the pocket or Johnny Benzel. I'm going to run around in the pocket for 10 seconds. I'm going to throw it up. Um, you know, remember when Mike Evans made Johnny Benzel for a show pick at a yeah. Texas <laughs> uh, but like, you know, for, for two, that is the opposite of his game. What, you know, go back to Alabama. What, you know, why was two was thought of so high? What, what was he better at than other people? 
it's accuracy and placement in the intermediate area that he's better at than other people. He's the best at, you know, maybe the best prospect that I've seen in the last five years at this one very specific thing. It's when the receiver's streaking across the middle of the field and he's got a step or two on his dude, two will hit him not a centimeter off. Like right where, you know, where, where the guy's momentum, it's perfect. And he, you know, in stride and he's, he's gone. Right. And so like you, you saw with, with the Alabama offense too, his yak numbers were ridiculous. Like that's what he does. He, you know, he's like, you can think of him as like an awesome passing point guard. Cause he's always putting those guys in, in the, you know, in the correct, you know, whatever, as long as you can get that, you know, those steps, he's going to hit you exactly, you know, whatever. Um, and the accuracy does go out, you know, you know, to, to the rest of the field or whatever, but it starts there. You know, it's like, it, you know, I, I was talking before about, you know, something else where it's like, it, you know, it starts and then flowers out from there. Like with Tua, if, if, if that thing's not there, and it's like, you don't have to be afraid of that. And it's like, wait, so, you know, all he's going to do is throw these jump balls to these unathletic guys. It's, you know, it's just, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't facilitate his game. So, so going back to the Waddle pick, the reason that he is, you know, even again, I, I think that Devonta is a little bit better and a little bit safer, but why, why I think that they uh, zeroed in on Waddle is Waddle is, you know, not just the, you know, the, the best in this class, because he, he's even better at this than Chase. He may be the best of this, like in the last five classes at wow. the fucking sprinting across the middle of the field, you know, what are those like slants or whatever um, and getting that separation, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like for instance, last year, people would talk about like Henry Ruggs is like, you know, this, like you were going to throw all these nine balls to him and, you know, he's going to catch all these balls with, you know, his speed, you know, Tyree kill, whatnot. But like, you know, at Alabama's, a lot of the manifestations of his speed, and this is the same case with Waddle, the Waddle, an even better route runner, is it was like, again, the stuff of like streaking across the field. Like th they had done the work with their athleticism of, of, of just, you know, in that, you know, the first beats after the snap, getting a step or two. And then, you know, depending on the way the rest of the, you know, the play was drawn up and where the bodies were in motion or whatever, you may have created a lane for your you know, one of the most athletic guys in college football, invariably, whoever it was, whether it's Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, or Devonta Smith, uh, you know, where they would have a shot at the end zone potentially. And, you know, again, that's, that's to his special sauce. So, you know, Waddle, that's perfect for him. You know, Waddle is going to dominate in the, in the intermediate area and it's going to open up other stuff for him. Waddle, you know, like you're going to see Tua's uh, yak next year is just going to absolutely skyrocket. And then as far as the, the Eagles pick, Again, like I think that they were happy that uh, Miami took uh, Waddle because for for the Eagles, what they really needed was the number one boundary receiver, right? Like you know they obviously have a shitty receiving core too. Last year they took Regor, who didn't work out. But if you had taken Waddle this year, you have now gone redundant. Like teams don't take receivers back to back years as is. But if they had taken Waddle after Regor, it truly would have been unprecedented. You know, it would have been like two gadget slots, you know, in, in a row. Like, I don't know that that ever would have happened. Um, it, 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 you basically, at that point, you have to trade Jalen Regor. You can't play him at that point because he plays. You know, there's no way to get him and, and Waddle on the field at the same time. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the ability to have Smith, it's, it's not just that it gives you that number one receiver. It's also that, it, 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 you know, you're going to be able to, uh, you know, not only continue to develop Regor, but now he is in a much more advantageous situation. The, the expectations have, have dropped a ton. Uh, I think down to um, realistic 
levels, right? Like at you know at, at TCU, he played with uh, you know abominations of quarterbacks. He had like you know the worst, some of the worst quarterback play like in the P five his last couple of years there. Um, you know, and, and 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 so like he's still you know I mean like he's he's got a little ways to go, but he's got high octane athleticism. Um, Devonta Smith, he's going to catch everything. Um, you know, you, you throw at him, you know, as, as, you know, going back to that, whatever, um, the routes are the best in the class, very, very smooth. Um, and the other thing that I'll say about Devonta, everyone, you know, skinny, skinny, you know, yes, he's, he's, he's very skinny. Um, but if you see like, you know, him on the sidelines, you see a picture, you know, of him or whatever, you'll note that his wrists are like doubted as kneecaps. You know, he's like, what are those, you know, he, he looks funny. Sort of, you know, where it's like, because he's got these stretch Armstrong arms sort of a thing, like these extender arms. Um, it's like his, his knuckles are dragging on the ground when he's walking sort of a thing. And so he has ludicrous length for his frame. You know, he's yeah. he's he's six one, but he has the wingspan of like a, a six five guy. And th- this is something that that really sneaks up on defenders at the last second at the catch point because he can corral things that other six one guys can't he has better hands than them for sure but it's also that he can get to balls that they they don't and so those two things in conjunction you know it, it's it's everything before that too of course like you know he he you know gains separation he provides the throwing windows because his footwork is so good the routes are so awesome everything like that um but then it's the little things like that as well that just sneak up on the defenders he's also very good at like very subtle things, but like, you know, the thing of like, there's some receivers who, you know, or, or DBs, they get panicky and they keep like looking over their shoulder for, for the ball and stuff like that. Um, he's one of those guys that won't look over until the last second or he'll lose, use the scoreboard if he can, you know, if it's like a live look, whatever. Randy Moss is the best I ever saw at that. He would watch himself on, on, you know, in the Metrodome that like they showed it live. So he could be able to tell when the ball was coming down and he wouldn't look up before then because he didn't want to give the DB a tell. So he always had the advantage at the catch point. It wasn't just that he was, you know, bigger and more athletic and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was also that, you know, he knew when it was coming and for them, it was just going to be a split second thing. They'd have to pick it up in, you know, literally in a second to make a play on it. Absolutely. Uh, And we now talked about it. This is just kind of a random question that popped up listening to you speak about these guys. You know, Chase jumps in with Burrow, already has that rapport, number one there. We got Devonta Smith meeting up with Jalen Hurts, who they obviously have that pre-established rapport, and then Tua and Jalen Waddell here. Yep. So do you think, like, how how much should we value as your fantasy owners, just like people in terms of getting off to a fast start? Do you think this is going to go a long way? And is this why these coaches targeted these guys is to make these quarterbacks comfortable? Or how big do you think we should factor these rapports already being established into this all? Well, I would say first um, – the, the foot I would lead with on that is this was an awesome receiving class, right? Like yeah. last year we talked about how, you know, this could be a historic class, whatever. And last year was probably deeper than this one, but this one was better at the top. You know, the top three of the, this one is better than that one. Um, and so like, you know, th- you know, number one, you know, when you just think about the, the transition of those three guys already in a vacuum, it was going to be quicker than, yeah. You know, a lot of the classes that we've thought of, you know, last decade. Right. But then, you know, the thing that you just mentioned, I think, is an important note as far as even accelerating that phenomena that, you know, that I just mentioned, because, yes, like the, Jamar Chase says it's a zero percent chance of, of busting and he has a zero percent chance of not being a star next year because yeah. we've already seen it. Like and again, you know, it's you know, you can't just be like, oh, it was just college. 
they were literally they they ran the best college offense in history. They they yeah. played the SEC, were just beating the shit out of everybody. They beat the shit out of Oklahoma. They beat the shit out of Georgia. They beat the shit out of they beat the shit out of Alabama. They, they beat yeah. the shit out of everybody, right? Um, was it Clemson in the title game? Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, and so like, you know, again, we've seen it. We know that that is going to, um, you know, th- 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 you know that that's going to translate whatever. Um, and you know, as far as the other guys, again, like they're just very good fits. Not only you know with exactly what that team needed, but it just so happened that the guys that they played with before are, are the quarterbacks. So yeah, I think all those different things. I, I think we're going to see you know the, the the numbers from the rookie receivers, and also you know it, it's sort of a sneaky thing with this, but you know it going to the 17 game season but i i think those two things the awesome receivers the the, the thing we just talked about and then the 17 game season i think you're going to see a record uh number of of receiving statistics from the rookie class this year love it um and might as well just continue with those rookie receivers i know you said it's pretty top heavy but your number four guy rashad bateman he goes to the the ravens who certainly didn't need a receiver uh they they, they had a gaping hole there but they also you know, dead last in pass attempts last season, fewest amount of targets to the wide receiver position in the league. Uh, sure, they have some vacated targets, but, you know, Lamar Jackson, for everything he does so well, he's bottom 10 in inaccurate passes last percent um, last year. It just doesn't seem like the ideal landing spot when you consider those things. Should we be concerned about this guy or does he have the talent to kind of overcome these things, do you think? So, I mean, it, it depends from, you know, the perspective you're asking from, but if it's, it's, if it's from just the fantasy perspective, well, of course it's, you know, not as good as, you know, you know, some of these offenses that like, um, you know, we talked about a couple of those offenses before that like throw the ball all the time, right? Like the Bengals offense, Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it, you know, certainly it's, it's disadvantageous landing spot from that perspective. However, from a football perspective, I think it was the best. Like, I think it's the best for Rashad Bateman's career. I think it's the best for Lamar Jackson's career. And I think it's the best for the Ravens organization. Um, Lamar Jackson, he, you know, he's, yes, you know, in, in terms of like accuracy and placement right now, um, you know, wh- wh- wherever you put him, you know, the top of the bottom 10 or whatever, starting quarterbacks in the NFL or whatever, but everything else, he's, you know, an absolute stud right. with, 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 with him, you know, we, we talked about it before with, with Tua, it was not only a bad receiving core, it was a bad receiving core that didn't work with him. I, I would make the same argument about Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson hasn't had really any help whatsoever going back to his days at Louisville. And yet he won a Heisman and an NFL MVP by the age of 23 at, you know, with, with Baltimore, they, they picked the first rounder a couple years ago, but you know, we even, even said it at the time, like Hollywood Brown was a, was a bizarre choice for them um, because Lamar, he can, you know, he's another guy where he's, he wants to pass first. Um, obviously we, you know, him and Vic are the only two quarterbacks we ever seen move like that. Um, but he wants to pass first. Um, but like the, the placement is the only thing he, he's out. That kid's always had a bazooka. I seen that kid throw over 70 yards on the fly in high school. Um, I knew that kid had a bazooka right from the jump, but like the, the placement thing, you know, it's still coming along and it was never going to disqualify him because of how good everything else is going back to the spacing thing. The, the way that he stresses defenses every, everywhere else. Um, what you want to get with that guy is two things. You want to have a receiver that consistently and very clearly like, a, like in a picture where it's like clear offers the throwing windows, right? Like, he can see it. And then number two has the ball skills, 
right? Like the ball skills that not, not just in the intermediate area, but extend deep, right? Because Lamar, it's, it's you know, it's, you know, he, he, he can fit it in the, the window short, of course. Um, but, the, the, you know, not only can he get it there deep, but as you know, there's a lot of plays with Baltimore where it's like the extended yeah. plays we're running around, um, you know, and then, of course, just with, with Lamar in general, you know, with the, the accuracy and the placement and stuff like that, having awesome ball skills, being able to corral the balls outside of you, um, that's obviously, you know, an advantage here. Whereas Hollywood Brown, had, you know, one of the smallest catch radiuses of a first round receiver of like the last decade. So it's just like, it, that was kind of weird. Um, it, you know, as far as Bateman goes, he's a former uh, uh, basketball star in high school and his footwork is awesome. Like that's, that's the first thing it starts with him off the, off the snap. Um, you press corners can't keep him stagnant off the line. You can't jam him. Um, it, it's, it's the footwork in conjunction with how well he's built. He's a very strong outside receiver. And so you can't stop him off the line. He's getting by anyone. Um, so he, he gets an advantage in any one of those situations. And then once he gets into his route, he's just a fabulous route runner. It, it, it goes back to the feet. Um, you know, he's a very good athlete in space, just very fluid. Um, and then, you know, as, as far as the ball skills, they're, they're top shelf, you know, like if, if you looked at his, his highlight catches, like, you know, compared to like, you know, all the receivers the last five years or so, his highlight catches are up there with anyone's like his, his circus catches, you know, you have this one catch against San Diego state, he, he caught the ball, like with his left hand running full speed down the sideline, just, you know, just casually grabs it while he's running full steam. Then, you know, finishes jaunt into the end zone, like just crazy stuff. Um, one thing he's got to clean up is it's, it was the Kyle Pitts thing the year before and, and just, oh, sorry. And just about the, the same amount too. He had, he had like six concentration drops last year and that, you know, that's what they were concentration drops. Gophers put him in a bad situation last year where in 2019, he was one of the best boundary receivers in the nation. He was playing outside of Tyler Johnson and then Johnson left, uh, you know, went to the box, won a super bowl last year. And then the Gophers moved Bateman into the slot. Um, where, you know, it wasn't the best fit for Bateman's game merely because, again, you can't jam him, you know, like, and he's, he's one of the best, you know, behind uh, Devonta, he might have been, you know, the, you know, especially with Chase having opted out, might have been the best route runner uh, in the nation. And so it's like, you know, why are you, why are you putting with a slot? This is stupid. Um, but, but like the Gophers in that system to sort of protect their accuracy averse you know, quarterbacks with the noodle arms, they want the best uh, receivers closest to them. And so, you know, that's what they thought was best for them. I don't think it was best for Bateman's development, but, you know, either or, um, you know, looking forward with, with, with the Ravens, um, it's, it, again, it's a guy who's always going to be, um, you know, providing, uh, you know, he's going to be getting the slivers of separation, providing the throwing windows to Jackson, and he's going to catch the ball. Um, he's going to make some crazy circus catches, everything like that. He's a guy that profiles to catch the ball outside of his frame um, and sometimes well outside of his frame and, and, and stuff like that. So I, I just thought it was the perfect, um, you know, football fit between prospect, you know, and, and, and team. Um, but for fantasy football, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not going to be um, as many targets maybe as, as some other places, but then again, you know, I, I think he's going to be their double one receiver really quick. So maybe his, you know, his targets come sooner than they would have come uh, somewhere else, but perhaps they're, they're capped at least initially. Um, but I will say, I don't, I don't think Lamar Jackson is anywhere done uh, developing as a passer. The, 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 the stress that he puts on the defense everywhere else, it, it makes his job as a thrower easier, arguably than any other quarterback, you know, in the same way it did for Vic because of the spacing stuff, because of how much, you know, you have to, the, the resources you have to devote to, to defending that and stuff like that. Um, he has improved every year as a thrower, 
You know, he was raw going to Louisville. He was raw coming. He 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 came out after three years, didn't redshirt, and he'd come into uh, into college as, as one of the rawest quarterbacks in his class, athlete in his class. And so it, it's been a very, very quick journey for Lamar from, you know, in high school, he was – they had the, the most fucked up offense in his high school. Like a – it was like a – like a human centipede type off. Like it was <laughs> fucked up, man. Um, it was like, uh, like you, you want to talk about a team that was just taking advantage of Lamar's skills. They, it was basically like they ran the option half the time and then they had a like uncorked deep balls the other half of the time. <laughs> and it's like, That's you know, funny. in your head, you, you're like, yeah, I, you know, I, you know, cause yeah, you can't run with, you know, in high school, you're just making people look stupid, stuff like that. They could throw it further than ever, but it's like, you know, you, you wonder why Labar went to, to Louisville and he, you know, didn't know about the route concepts and everything like that. It's cause they were having to run the fucking option and just throw yeah. nine balls the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think a ton of points that are interesting there is like it's it's easy as I, I was citing all those passing, you know, lowest volume, lowest receiver targets, all that, but we're evaluating that offense without a potential stud number one receiver, like you were saying. So like it's almost unfair to just pigeonhole like this is the amount of targets they're gonna give to their wide receiver where they didn't have that that guy like what Bateman could be as you're, you're illustrating in here. Uh, and I'm also here. Maybe Lamar Jackson returns to those cheat code levels uh, next season for sure. Uh, but under Greg Roman, I mean, yeah, it's obviously always been a run heavy attack, like wherever he's been San Fran, all that, but he still had when he had like Michael Crabtree thousand yards, nine TDs, uh, Anquan Bolden, you know, 1200 yards, seven TDs, 1100 yards, five TDs, Sammy Watkins, you know, nine TDs and 1100 yards nearly like he's, when he has that kind of big body, like that that guy that can do those things, they've emerged as pretty viable fantasy receivers. And I think it's pretty fair to say they haven't had that over his Ravens tenure. We haven't seen Lamar Jackson have that uh, type of receiver that afforded to him. So I'm pretty excited to see maybe what this could be. And and yeah, I, I wasn't very excited when he first landed there, given the the overall aerial pie, the, the amount of volume seems pretty low. But it seems like a huge chunk of it should and could go to Bateman. Uh, and, and this whole offense might just take another leap forward when they have a presence like him uh, in general. So really intriguing, really intriguing for sure um, to see what happens there. Uh, in terms of rounding out these wide receivers, because there are, I, we're getting pretty long here. So if you, at any point, if you're like, hey, I got to run, like I know we're already, we're, uh, I just looked at the clock, like, holy shit, we're already at an hour and a <laughs> half. I could talk football the next three hours with you. <laughs> so at any point, just be like, hey, I got to go because we've already hit a, a bunch of these studs. But man, like, this has been great. Um, there's a handful of receivers I'd love to ask you about and hit a couple more running backs, and then we'll, we'll let you sure. go if that's cool with you. But if you yeah. got to go, by all means, like, no, no, let's, let's, let's hit these quick hitter. All righty. Sounds good. Uh, the, the last of the receivers, well, there, there's Tony to the Giants, uh, but then there's also, you know, those round two guys, the, the Elijah Moores, the Rondell Moores, the Terrace Marshalls. You know, out of all those guys, uh, if, we, if we lump Tony into this one, even though he was a round one guy, so round two receivers plus Tony, who do you see as the best fit? Who might you target the most if you were a fantasy football player? Like rookie rookie, or or over their career? Uh both, if if it's different for you, if it's the same, then then that one guy. But yeah, short term and long term. What are you thinking? Well, for short term, um, short term, short term, Tony would have a better shot of that just because he's going to get the manufactured shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I might put Tony on the bottom of that that group if it was like a career thing because I don't think he's ever going to um, be able to catch the ball, you know, ten yards plus 
down the field in the NFL. I think he's always going to be a manufactured touch guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and he, he was older for a prospect too, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. So like, I, I don't know how much development uh, he has left. Daniel Jones lo- liked to throw the screens at Duke. You know, that's, he's, he's good at that. Um, like actually it was arguably the thing he was best at. His last season, um, this is actually funny with his eval. The reason some people missed on him was because, his last season at Duke, he broke his collarbone in September, and Duke has this like weird like. Uh, you ever seen the the show Westworld? Oh yeah, on HBO. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, like in the the basement, they have like that machine where they it, like builds the humans. You know, like yep. the machines, whatever. <laughs> like like Duke had some fucking thing like that, and they like built you know Daniel Jones like a new collarbone or some shit. Like, and he he was back in like two weeks. Like we you know we thought it's like season was gonna be over, and like they you know they put him in the Westworld lab, but all of a sudden he's back in two weeks. Um, well, anyhow, but like the rest of the season, they you know not only was the team super shitty, but now you know behind this really bad offensive line and David Cutcliffe knew that Daniel Jones had a shot to go in the first round. So he didn't want to, you know, I think be on the hook for like, you know, ending Daniel Jones's shot at that, you know, or, you know, Duke football's program to, you know, the opportunity to send a quarterback to the first round. And so the rest of the season, there was just a ton of the quick hitting stuff, even more, more so than before. Um, And so like, he's really good at the timing on, on stuff like that. And then the rest of the season, they basically didn't throw downfield at all. And so like, it was funny, like in Daniel Jones is like uh process like you know people were like oh he you know he sucks throwing downfield you know he couldn't even do it you know and stuff like this and it's you know this shit's always funny to me because like i I, you know a lot of people that talk right about the draft they 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 cover the nfl during the season um i cover college football year-round um and so it's like funny sometimes the context that people miss you know and some of these false narratives Mm -hmm. that are created out of it you know i was talking about the fields thing before and you know this being another example of that Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so you're saying Tony, you know, maybe year one manufactured touches does well long-term wise. Do you have a, he, you said he wasn't your favorite. So who of the Elijah Rondell, Terrace Marshall, who do you like the most of those guys? Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he was the only guy of those that I had a first round grade on. Um, mm-hmm. I think I had like a late third on Tony or something. Um, but, but yeah, I, with Elijah Moore, the, the only reason that, you know, I think Kadarius Tony might have more, uh, fantasy utility this year is just like the Jets receiving core right now. I, I think their three starter spots seem set, right? Like where it's like, isn't it Mims and who is the guy? Crowder, Corey Davis. Crowder's a, yeah. Davis on the other side. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then Crowder in the slot and, uh, you know, more, most people just think of him as a slot only. Um, and certainly he's going to be a good NFL slot. Um, I think he can also, uh, potentially swing it on the boundary because his, his athleticism is that good. He, you know, game is sort of similar to Antonio Brown. So when you think about like a, a smaller guy that could hang on, you know, potentially for snaps on the outside, that's, that's sort of the kind of guy you think of. Um, but like, he's just, he's very dynamic, um, you know, he, he, he's another kid who's just like, he's a scrapper, but, um, he's, he's very, very slippery. Um, and he's got the athleticism to go with it. So it's very hard to stay with him. Um, and then for, for a smaller dude, um, I, I like the ball skills a lot. It's not just catching mm-hmm. them, but like, you know, one difference between, you know, that separates him by a big degree for me over Kadarius Tony is Elijah Moore consistently caught the ball down the field. Not only did he, he catch it, but like, you, you know, you watch him on tape, like he seems like a natural, like, you know, the, the thing of like, I, this always impresses me because I, I can't do this is like the, you know, the bucket shoulder over the catch 
or, or I'm sorry, over the shoulder. You, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that shit, like, you know, like I, I played center in high school or whatever, like <laughs> the, the bucket catch over the shoulder. I can't do that. But like, you know, you start having stuff like that when you're, you know, downfield or whatever, like, especially for a smaller receiver like that, that, you know, Tutu Atwell can do some of that stuff too, where he's like adjusting to balls downfield. Um, whereas some of these other guys in this, like Amari Rogers, they never sent him beyond five yards mm-hmm. downfield. Didn't trust him at all. Um, uh, Kadarius Tony, very similar. So, you know, th- that's how some of those guys differentiate for me, but like more, he can win at all levels of the field. They, yeah. the, the, the tar- you get, look at the targets last year, Mississippi, uh, they had one of the better passing offenses in the nation, even though people knew it was coming and almost every target was to Elijah Moore. You know, yeah. they just, they just pumped targets at that kid and he, he dominated, like, you know, he was, he was the majority of their offense in most games. It was like Elijah Moore w- was like, you know, it was like him against Alabama in one game, you know, David against Goliath, you know, like, um, so, you know, I, I think he provides a lot to the team. My, my only question is who does he shove off the field? Like if, if they still have Jamison Crowder on that team, you know, do you shove him off the field when, you know, you're like Zach Wilson, you're trying to acclimate him and, you know, like, you know, I, I love Elijah Moore, but like, you know, if, if I was in the front office, maybe you would think like Jamison Crowder would be a good, you know, veteran security blanket. He knows what he's doing for this kid, you know, whatever. Do we, do we really want to bring Elijah Moore onto the field where, you know, we'd have a rookie on the other side, it's a second year guy. And then on the other side, it's a guy who's new to New York, you know, he's new to the team. I, I, I'm not sure, but like as as far as talent, you know, more for me, it, you know, is it would be the top guy in you know of that group that you said. He's also the most talented guy in the Jets room. So I, I just don't know how quick he gets up there, but um, he he's he's going to produce when he does. Absolutely, and there's are there are some rumblings too that Jameson Crowder do a big cap hit this year. Uh, there they could get like ten million off the books if they release him. So potentially that cap could get that much clearer. Get out of here, Jameson. We do not need exactly. you anymore. We We'd got Elijah Crowder. Exactly. We'd love yeah. to see it. And plus, out. we got the, the Zach Wilson Elijah Moore bromance. I don't know if you've been seeing those tweets already, oh. but you know. They've been talking every single day, every other day. They've been watching each, sending each other highlight clips of each other, and been like, "I'm going to do this for you." This, uh, and they, they both said they're going to do whatever they can to make the other one look good, and vice versa. So, I wonder if Kenny Yaboa is like jealous because you know Kenny Yaboa played with Elijah Moore <laughs> at Mississippi, and he's like, he right. probably, you know, he signed with New York as a UDFA. I think he got the biggest UDFA signing bonus. But he's like going to New York. He's like, "Yeah, I get to hang out with my buddy Elijah." And yeah. he's like, he's like, "Why isn't Elijah called?" You know, he's at the hotel. Why, why isn't Elijah called? And he's <laughs> checking his like, you know, Twitter. And Instagram, we see it. Elijah's tweeting back at Zach Wilson. You exactly. Know, Bo's like, God damn it. And standing outside the window, the rain kind of pouring down on him. Like, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They're exactly. playing video games together. Zach Wilson, <laughs> Elijah Moore. He's like outside the room. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. oh, I love it. Oh, man. Well, I got to, before we, we get you out of here, we've, we've crushed this receiver class. The only running back we talked about was Najee. And he wasn't even your number one guy. You had Javonta Williams as your number one guy. Uh, what did you love about him? And do you like this fit with the Broncos? It seems crowded with Melvin Gordon there. Do you think Javante could just usurp him right from the start? Or how long do you think this takeover is going to take? Yeah, if it's, uh, you know, if it's an open competition, there's every reason to believe it should be, you know, with a top 40 pick on a running back. Melvin Gordon ought to call his realtor, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> set up a listing there. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if Denver is going to want to pay him to be a, a backup running back. But, you know, again, if it's a if, if it's an even competition, he's not going to be getting the touches. Javonta Williams is better than he is. Um, you know, it, as, as far as like what he's going to bring to that offense, um, 
you know, the, the, the thing that really attracted uh, me to him early was the, um, what's special about it that like just jumps off, uh, you know, the, the screen or whatever is the, the broken tackles. Um, mm-hmm. he shattered the PFF record this year for most broken tackles per attempt. Like it wasn't even like, you know, he, he, I think he even broke the individual, you know, the, the season record, even though UNC played less games and like a lot of these other teams in the past or whatever, but like, you know, per attempt just shattered it. Um, very hard to tackle. Um, but like the, the scary thing about him was he always had that, you know, he, he, he ran hard and everything like that. You know, he stays square and the contact balance is, is ridiculous. Um, he always had that, but the, the one thing that was holding him back before, or was, you know, preventing his, his jump up or was the thing he needed to do to, to jump up was like, um, you know, he came in and he was young, you know, like he was another guy that wasn't like the most, you know, heavily recruited or whatever. And when he came in as, as a true freshman, like he started getting playing time right away, but he hadn't gotten the most reps in his life, you know, seeing the live bullets and everything. And the thing that you've seen him jump up at every year, it's the thing of like right after the handoff, when there's like the flow right in front of him, it's denoting the lane when to cut and, and, and drive forward right like you know before earlier in his career you would see times where he would either panic and go too quick you know and and get you know just get into a gang a street fight that you know he shouldn't have or whatever or else the the other thing that you would know with him is he would try to take the outside too much he would he would just you know get antsy and, and try to bounce it outside um, what what you notice each of the his seasons as he progressed was like got better at um, you know not only the patience but denoting the vision to know when to put that foot in the dirt and exactly which lane to go through. That's what really played his game up because when Javante when when Javante gets scary, it's in the second and third levels. That that's when he's a fucking nightmare to tackle. Right. Like, you know, when it's I mean, when he's behind the line, I mean, you know, now you got you got 11 defenders between him and the you know, it's not as scary. But once once he's back with the smaller defenders, now you got a problem because now you're going to have to bring two or three of them to get him down. Um, and so, like, you know, I'll, the, the more he gets out there, um, the, the more damage he's going to do. Miami saw this, you know, w- when they played them in November or whatever. I mean, that was one of the most impressive uh, collegiate running back seasons or I mean, I'm single games and, and performances combined with Michael Carter. They, they just absolutely destroyed Miami. Um, and so it's it, it's that stuff. That, that's why you've seen his his, his, his game coalesce here. Um, and the other thing I'll say very quickly about him is. Um, some people have sort of poo-pooed his, his third down utility. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's right either. Um, earlier in his career, um, he didn't play much on, uh, you know, in passing situations because even though he signed with UNC, he just so happened to sign with them at the same time that, that Michael Carter did. Michael Carter, I comp him to, to Clyde Edwards, E. Lair. They're, you know, they're basically the same size. They have the same game. Um, uh, Carter was the best receiving back in this class. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like, um, I mean, above ETN, right? Like, you know, I don't even think it was particularly close, you know, as far as like how smooth they are and like everything like that. Um, And so like, you know, earlier in the career, you know, when you're looking for, uh, uh, you know, field time to give to Michael Carter, this special, you know, receiving back prospect, you're going to give it to about the passing downs and you're going to have Javon to work on, you know, the early downs. And so, you know, that's not particularly surprising for, you know, Javante's true freshman, true sophomore season. What you saw, um, you know, nearing the end of his sophomore season and then uh, for sure during his, his true uh, junior season was he usurped Carter as the blocking back. Um, and last year he, he did well as a pass blocker. Um, and the other thing was whenever they, they threw him the ball, um, he acquitted himself well. 
You know, like he didn't get as many, you know, targets, for instance, say as, as Najee Harris did. But then again, Alabama didn't have Michael Carter. Right. So, you know, Alabama had to throw Najee Harris the, the ball that like if 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 Kenyon Drake had been on those like Najee Harris wouldn't have gotten thrown the ball quite as much. You know, they still would have thrown him the ball up, but, you know. Not, not, not quite as much. So, you know, Javante as a receiver, I think, is is, is very underrated. His, his hands are good. Um, you know, his routes are fine. You know, everything like that. And, you know, the second he catches the ball, it's just that, that smoothing to square up, you know, shoulders to the goal line, and he's punching it. And then he's going to be a problem for you if he's in space. Absolutely. And, and that last point about his receiving is so crucial, too, because Pat Shermer – the offensive coordinator there has historically loved his bell cows, whether it's Saquon, Dalvin, Steven Jackson, uh, dating back to like Trent Richardson when he was just, the only relevant season he ever had was under Pat Shermer. It's like he, this guy loves to feed his backs. He went up and traded for this guy. So I, I'm with you. I think this could be the Javante show sooner than later. Uh, and especially Dynasty, if you can be patient, Melvin Gordon's got one year left. Like it, it by next year, but probably uh, you know if it's if it is an open competition like you said uh, draft him now get get in early and get that kid i i think he's gonna he's gonna beat out gordon one way or the other the other thing is if they don't trade for aaron Rodgers, like the the run oh. they're gonna have to pan the ball off a shit ton it's not yeah. gonna be the best offense but you know the, the running back's gonna get all the touches on the team if they do uh you know trade for rogers the the running back might not get quite as many carries but the their touchdowns are gonna go way the fuck up so you know like i i think like that's something you might want to get in early on is the javante thing because i don't think gordon is as big a competition for him maybe as like in perception and again like if they get rogers that that offense becomes a bonanza absolutely oh man that offense would be insane with rogers <laughs> i was wondering that sutton and jody and then those running back. oh it could yeah, be hamler fan. like they've invested hamler, a lot. right yeah and the skill guys like uh fans albert O. You know, they, they put a lot of money into, you know, the offensive skill, you know, or, or sorry, draft equity, you know, in, in recent mm -hmm. years, Javanta being another one. Absolutely. Um, and then I know it's time to let you go, but there's three players that if you can give me your elevator pitch, you know, one minute spiel on, because we know ETN is, is crucial for Dynasty Leagues. Everybody you know, listening is going to want to know what's Thor's take on him. Trey Sermon, and you already started to hint at Michael Carter, too. Uh, if you give me like your one minute on, on each or 30 seconds, however you want to, to rip these guys here. I know my listeners definitely want to hear about these guys. If you don't mind just quickly ripping through them. Sure. Well, ETN, like, so I, I you know, I, I was talking about the props that I, I, you know, was recommending before I went over on ETN's rookie rushing, which was like 600. It was like mm -hmm. really low over a 17 game season. Um, so I think like, you know, in terms of like the perception of him in year one, I think he is statistically going to outperform that. And mm -hmm. this, like, I'm, first of all, I'm lower on ETN than most others. Like, I had him, you know, RB3 and, like, as a, you know, mid-second rounder. And I'm the highest on James Robinson, I think, of anyone. Like, he was my my yeah. dude last year, you know, like, the, um, calling him out as, you know, the Phil Lindsay of the class and, like, whatever. And so, like, you know, it hurts my heart to say this, but you do not take a running back in the first round right. and then, you know, play and then platoon him with the undrafted guy of the previous regime get out of here urban buyer i mean for fucking pride alone wouldn't do that like james <laughs> james robinson's time is over yeah. there you know it, it sucks but that just it, it's the way that it is it's the same way as gardner Minshew there it, their yeah. time is done um and so you know etn is going to get his touches for sure um you know like he's not going to be a similar type bell cow uh to the other two folks 
Um, and I think, you know, as, as far as that goes, um, you know, I'll, I'll just dovetail the, uh, you know, repeat a point that I made earlier, which is um, I saw a lot of comps people make into, you know, him and Kamara during the draft process. That's just wrong. They're not the same type of player. Um, Kamara is, it, it's the smoothness as a receiver. Again, you know, the, the ability to run complex routes, stuff like that, like a receiver. Uh, with ETN, he was unplayable on third downs his first two years of his career. Made a concerted effort about it, you know, and in 2019, he, he took a jump up in that. And then he went back to college last year. He really wanted to show the NFL that, that he was a receiver. He ended up having less than a thousand rushing yards last year because they cut his his carries way down. Because I, I think that ETN talked to the coaching staff like beforehand, like, I'll come back for my senior year, but I don't want a ton of carries. I've already shown that shit. Like he'd run for 1600 plus the two years before that. But he's like, I want a fuck ton of targets. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, basically what he is as, you know, for me, he's Reggie Bush. It's Reggie mm-hmm. Bush all over again. It's the exact same game. It's like, you know, it, it's the guy you, you get him the ball on a dump off or whatever. And then if you got, if he's got the straight line in front of him or whatever, it's he punch what he's special at. It's punching that accelerator. Right. So it's the acceleration from, from, you know, the zero to the 10 yard line, you know, the, 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 the 10 yards there, like he gets from zero to 60 very, very quickly. And so if, if he's got that little crease there, um, he can potentially hit a home run, but like with, with ETN, he, you know, even when his, his receiving numbers were hopping up, it's not like, you know, he was out, you know, like running wheel routes for Lawrence or, you know, he, he was out, you know, the intermediate area, like stuff like this. That's, that's not what he does. You know, it's not what he, what, what he was doing. It was just dump off stuff, you know, or manufactured screens, you know, shit like that. Um, could he become more? I don't think so, actually, um, because that's not what kind of an athlete he is. You know, he's, he's not the like slick footed um, sort of a dude. He's the explosive north south guy. Um, you know, his routes, I'm sure, could get a little bit better, but that's his, his special sauce has nothing to do with that. You know, it's like, again, it's it's manufacturing opportunities for him where he can get that crease to the uh, whatever. So, like, anyway, I just wanted to sort of separate him from uh, Kamara and maybe move him more towards another uh, New Orleans, former New Orleans Saints back in, in Bush, because I, I think that's where the similarities are with him. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, we might see those manufactured touches, those screens and whatnot, given that Urban Meyer, you know, Percy Harvey, oh, sure Curtis were. Samuel. Yes. So we could a th- see a, a lot of percent. that. Yeah. It's just that it, what you're not going to see is, is him making all these plays downfield like Kamara. You know, that, that's the only thing that... And, and, and because Kamara could do that, it also added the possibility that he could start, you know, that you could have a game with him where you can get the jukebox numbers, right? Like in mm-hmm. baseball parlance, uh, it's like they say you put up a crooked number on the scoreboard, right? Like, you know, some games with Kamara, like, you know, if, if he gets a home run, you know, uh, there's a broken coverage downfield, whatever, like, you know, he, he could have one of those games with the touchdown and the, the high yardage mark, whatever, like um, ETN, I think there's going to be less opportunities for that because it's like with him, it's like, you know, you might once in a blue moon see like the 80 yard touchdown. But I think a lot of times, I, yes, I agree with you. I think he's going to get the targets. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to get the receptions as well um, because his targets are, you know, going the other way. They're going to be the easier to catch version. You know, it's going to be a lot of stuff behind the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it's it's an open question as to how that part of his game translates to the NFL. You saw that with Kamara, 
um, you know, in translation, that part of his game played up because now all of a sudden, you know, he was playing with offense, you know, he's playing under offensive coordinators that understood spacing of the field better. He was, he was playing with quarterbacks that, you know, sat back in the pocket and, you know, spatially understood things better. So, you know, waited longer for routes to develop, et cetera. Um, you know, all these different things, whereas in college, you know, those things weren't consistently there for him at, at Tennessee. Whereas, you know, think back to Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was so much more dangerous in all facets of the game, but especially in passing, right? Like that, you know, at, like at, at USC, he was so scary. Like every time, you know, Leinart threw Bush the ball, it's like, oh, fuck. You know, like everyone held their their breath. And, you know, in the NFL, it was just a different thing because when it's it's the straight line thing and you can't, you know, you know, it's, it's we know he's going that straight line. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it reduces the option, you know, for, for the defense, you, you know what I mean? Like in play. Absolutely. Last one here. Who are you taking between Trey Sermon and Michael Carter? They're both kind of falling right to the end of the first and rookie drafts right now. Do you, either of them, or would you go with the, the receivers instead? Do you like the, the short or long-term outlooks for either of these guys? And who would be your preference? Um, I think I go with Sermon. Um, Sermon, you know, I, I I had Sermon ranked higher. I like Sermon more as a player because he can do more stuff. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know if the NFL situation is as good as the the college ones, but I, I think that the 49ers got more running back, right? They, they have Mostert. They have Jeff Wilson. It's it's not a tough depth chart to really get on top of. <laughs> okay, yeah. And the Jets? Who, Nothing who, either. LaMichael Pirine, like, oh yeah, you know. Pirine. <laughs> Kevin back Coleman, to Florida. You know, like, yeah, it's it's gross. Neither one have difficult depth charts, which is why I think they're sneaking into round one of fantasy drafts for, for rookies. Yeah. So, yeah, with um, with Carter, you know, like, yeah, if it's a if it's a one year proposition, it might be different Then I might. It might be closer for me. Um, you know, then I might go closer to Carter, maybe. But like for sure, if it's a dynasty thing, I'm doing sermon. Uh, mm-hmm. Ser- Sermon's the three down guy, you know, he, he can do everything. Uh, you saw, you know, like we, we saw flashes of his recruiting pedigree earlier in his career with Oklahoma, but you know, he had some injuries and then he came back and there was a bunch of other talented backs there, et cetera. And then, you know, at Ohio state, you know, season started late this year, whatever, but like you saw it down the stretch, everything coalesced. He was just dominating people, you know, Northwestern Clemson, et cetera, down in uh, Michigan state was another one. Um, and so like, you know, again, just the ability to add, um, you know, basically in every single facet of the offense, you know, he's, he's a pass blocker. He's a smooth receiver. And then as far as a, a running back, like I, I talked about, you know, I've talked about a few different guys on, on this show that do not have very good vision or do not have very good patience. Uh, Trey Sermon does. Um, mm. And he played for very smart uh, offensive uh, coaches in, in college, obviously, um, you know, first for Lincoln Riley and then at, at Ohio State. He also, by the way, this is just a random fact about Trey Serbit, but like someday he's going to have a ludicrous uh, trivia, uh, you know, like thing about him because I was thinking about this. So Trey Sermon, you know, he was at Oklahoma 2017, 18, 19, and then Ohio State uh, last year. And then he was, you know, now he's with the 49ers. So in 17... At Oklahoma, it was uh, Kyler. Let's see, it was was a Baker Mayfield, then Kyler Murray, mm-hmm. and then Jalen Hurts. Those three seasons, right? Then yep. his one season at Ohio State was Justin Fields, and now he's drafted to play with Trey Lance. That's crazy. Five years, five consecutive years. Those were starting quarterbacks. That's fucking insane. I, like That's I don't wild. know that any like any offensive skill players ever played in five consecutive years like in their formative years with a murderer's row of quarterbacks. Yeah. Like that, like that is absolutely insane. 
to, to have a different one every single year it, anyway through college is absolutely crazy um but yeah it's you know again like the well-rounded game and division right like he knows when to do the cut-up thing like he doesn't need to be taught that right like and you know great contact balance he breaks a ton of tackles too um i thought he was an under underrated kid coming into the class i thought the, the 49ers got really good value on him um, in fact, I, like, I think the Buccaneers made a big mistake by airmailing that pick on, on Trask at the end of the second round, you know, they're, they're sort of like trying to nod to the, the, the post Brady thing. And it's like, what, what are you guys yeah. doing? Like you're in a super bowl window. Like you want the guy that was, you know, he, he piled up all of his stats, throw a ducks downfield that, that, you know, that, uh, that, uh, uh, Kyle Pitts was, you know, dig it yeah. out or whatever. And then the, the manufacturer stuff for Tony, like we saw with Trask in the, uh, the cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, what happens with, uh, with Pitts. Tony and Grimes aren't on his side. The, the, right. the pixie dust comes off, you know, in that game. <laughs> it's like, you know, it was, he was like 10 for 25 for like 80 yards and three interceptions, no touchdowns. Um, yeah. And before earlier in his career, when, when those guys weren't mega gods, um, he was the same thing. So yeah. Anyway, if, if I was the Bucks, I would have, that's what I would have gone with. I, I think, you know, Trey Sermon would have started on, on that Super Bowl contender. Um, but with, you know, San Francisco, you know, th those names you tossed out. I actually like that the late round kid they took, Elijah Mitchell. I'm, I'm disappointed that Mitchell went to the same team that Sermon did because they have some of the same types of skills. But, um, you know, Sermon's just a little bit, um, you know, more experienced and, you know, a little bit better athletic profile, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, it, in that situation with Trey Lance, um, you know, we know they're going to be running a lot of RPOs, you know, moving people around, stuff like that. Um, probably going to be some tempo in that offense too. Um, we know they're going to run, you know, they, they, we know they got good blockers there too. And, and guys that can block in space, um, mm. for a guy like Sermon who, you know, it's the vision, it's the cutting and then the contact balance. Um, you got guys that can block out in space and stuff like that, you know, and then uh, talk about a guy that changes the geometry. Trey Lance got a fucking bazooka. He's got yep. a fucking bazooka and, and he's also going to go into the NFL and be one of the five best scramblers. So it, it, that seems like a very advantageous spot for Trey Sermon, assuming he can win the job pretty quick. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be able to against that, that cast of characters. Absolutely. And uh, that Shanahan zone scheme has just always been such a glorious thing when they have the right running back. And even when they don't like, Alfred Morris was like, okay, but he ran for like 1600 Steve Slayton in a year. Like, well, and it's very good. You're saying the you go back to the old man. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it's just a, a perfect fit. So I love it all. Well, man, this was a, an unbelievable pleasure. Unbelievable blast. You gave me so much depth on these answers. Next time I'll probably have to give you like a cut this show sheet in half for you. Cause this was just, <laughs> I didn't realize you were just going to, crush it as much as you did this was an absolute pleasure i've been a long time reader so to be able to sit here and have a conversation just hear you wax about these players was was awesome so thor thank you so much for for your time do you want to remind our listeners where they can connect with you where they can find you and, and some any work you want to make sure they check out yeah thanks man yeah it was a pleasure to be on with you um you can find me on uh, twitter at thorku t-h-o-r-k-u uh, and then, uh, let's see. Oh, you can find me on NBC sports edge, um, NFL college football section. Um, and this week, uh, yesterday we put up the, uh, the UDFA grades for the NFC that we mentioned before. And tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, we'll be putting up the AFC grades for the UDFA classes. So check that out. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, and look forward to connecting again, man. Cheers. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. 
we stole the show. At least we stole the show. At least we stole the show. Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.